to worship and taste of new life. Uh, transition the young people. I believe uh, they will go with Miss Whitney to my right, right here, uh, and transition back at the end of worship. Uh, we're going to collect our offering, offering collectors. Um, encourage, uh, just encouraged by uh, some of the decisions uh, of the leadership of the church, um, by some of our fundraising. Um, we were going into this year uh, kind of hoping, when, when we started New Life, we were kind of hoping for about $50,000 of support for this third year of ministry from outside sources, um, from our conference in Roscoe mainly. Um, we do not have any support, uh, any of that 50000 going into this year. So we were a little uncertain um, how we were going to go through this year, uh, knowing that we were not going to boom overnight and everything else. But... Um, so, so with our budget and everything else, we kind of started the year with a $30,000 deficit um, from your giving, uh, and, and we've gotten that down to around $10,000. Um, so so we, we started with really $50,000 deficit, uh, and, and we've gotten that down to about $10,000, um, not including um, you know, things like Pizza Ranch, not including things like the Parable of the Talents, uh, not including our Family and Friends campaign, uh, the planning team is maybe uh, orchestrating a golf um, outing fundraiser. Uh, we can't call it a tournament, um, but uh, kind of a fundraiser. What? A play day um, for some fundraising. Uh, some, so really cool event. Um, so I think we're going to be okay. Uh, but uh, that means we're still, we're still challenging ourselves. And looking next year, actually, it looks even better um, uh, going into next year because of the decisions we've made with Sherland. Uh, we're even looking better, and, and that $10,000 will be, will be zero um, going into 2015. So um, real, I'm just telling you where we are. Um, if we spend all of the money that's budgeted, and um, your, your staff has spent literally nothing, um, unless they're hiding it all <laughs> and not keeping all the receipts at home, uh, your staff has spent nothing, um, uh, uh, very little, just, just the bare, bare minimums that they need to do ministry. Uh, and so thank them for their stewardship. Thank you for your stewardship. Um, to be able to do what we've done in three years is, is really amazing, uh, given this climate, given what we started with. Um, and, and so I just thank you and honor you. Uh, get involved in some of these other things throughout the rest of the year to do some fundraising. Um, I encourage you, I believe June 7th, the first week of June, uh, we'll come back with our Parable of the Talents. Um, so I, some of you are doing some really cool things. Even some, some people brought, we got some rhubarb for donations. Uh, John's doing something. Uh, so some cool things already happening, some cool things in the works. I'm glad uh, to see you invested in that. Make sure you share the stories, what you've done, how you did it, uh, and, and we're going to go. You can go ahead. Uh, that's why I was talking. Um, uh, and collect the offering. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, I'll always forget to just say that. Um, so, so thank you very much. And uh, just spent the day with three members from Sherland uh, in a conference transition workshop. Um, they are excited. They are empowered. Um, this little congregation, I believe that as we partner with them, as we walk along with them, uh, a, as we do ministry with them, I believe this little congregation is going to flourish. Um, I believe we are going to flourish. Um, I believe my shoe is untied, and that's going to bother me here for the next half hour if I don't do something about it. Um, and, and it's going to be good. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that, I think, more in June, um, kind of about what I'd like to see um, happening with us in Sherlin. Uh, and then maybe in, in July, we'll, we'll do some kind of Q&As about that uh, and get that. Um, so w we had planned for the last, uh, uh, the last couple of years, we've had a picnic out at Rock Cut. 
Um, the planning team decided to not do that in June as normally scheduled, uh, and, and we're going to try to do kind of a mixer with Sherland, um, either at Sherland, um, at the church, uh, or maybe at one of the four. There's like four parks or forest preserves right around there, um, so maybe somewhere out there in July or early August um, so we can get to know them so that they can get to know us uh, and we can start sharing and ministry together. Really cool things can happen uh, because of this new relationship. Uh, and, and so I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you are excited about that. This is our forwarding ministry. Uh, this is what we are doing um, to help make disciples beyond McChesney Park. Um, I, it's just down the road, I know, a little bit. Um, but believe me, there's so much potential in that little town um, and so many people that can be blessed by that little church. So uh, let's go in there with uh, big hearts and hear them and hear their vision and, and walk alongside with them. Um, I do encourage you now, um, from now to, to July, um, if small groups of you are interested in going worship, they worship at 11 o'clock, um, Sherland United Methodist Church, they're in Sherland. Um, they worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Um, so if you miss a Saturday night, maybe good to go and worship with them. Um, kind of write down your, your initial thoughts. I think once we get into July, we'll, we'll try to get uh, kind of a regular schedule of Maybe we can, you know, kind of go there in a little bit. Um, I think if about 10% of us go every week, different people every week, uh, we would double their congregation. So, uh, you know, that, how much energy does that bring in um, when your congregation doubles and, and when there's other people and, and the, the passion and worship that you guys all bring um, because they are struggling in worship right now. I can tell you that after spending a day with them um, uh, they, they, their, their worship needs an infusion of something, uh, and, and we're going to have to find out what it needs. But uh, I think just some, some extra energy and some extra love, I think, is going to go a long way. So let's have a word of prayer as we begin our teaching time uh, and our forming time. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, this beautiful, gorgeous day. Almost feels like spring. We just thank you for the new life we experience in this Easter season every single day and that's just uh, echoed in our creation uh, that you have placed us here uh, in charge of and to nurture and to care for we ask that you uh, send your spirit upon us now encourage us set our hearts on fire that we can hear your message that we can be uh, people who live in this uh, crazy and uncertain world but still proclaim that you are lord and that you've given us new life amen we're playing the inter intro video or not. We're not, we're not playing? Oh, okay. Yeah. Am I talking? You don't have to play it. It scares the heck out of me. That's cool. Because we have basically what's setting up to be a very strong line of storms coming through the Chicagoland area right about then. So tailgaters, heads up for you right now. Have a plan in place and uh, be ready for that. It's going to be pretty nasty. Hurricane Sandy is more than 200 miles off the coast and is about to crash into two other systems. A tornado of epic proportions rips through the city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, putting the lives of 185,000 people in harm's way. In Colorado, I-70 was shut down for hours due to major pileups. In Minnesota, a slippery mess. This guy's going to pitch. He's going to pitch. Dry 
drivers who didn't read the signs ended up overturned and in ditches on the side of the road. Outside the Twin Cities, a man was rescued from his car. Minneapolis has already seen five inches of snow. With several more expected, this could be their biggest storm this winter. Pretty intense. First time uh, Jeff showed me that video, I had to go change my pants, I think. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> too much information. Well, welcome to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the teaching pastor here. I want to welcome all of those joining us online, our uh, ever-growing online community. Uh, those of you who are here, uh, if you want to catch any of these sermons uh, in Storms of Life, for example, our current series, you can go to www.findnewlifeumc.org, or you can go New Life UMC on iTunes Podcast Net. So welcome all those uh, with us as well. So we're talking about the storms of life, and uh, Jeff uh, uh, introduced us to the idea last week and talked a little bit about tornadoes. This week we're talking about thunderstorms. Now as we approach the spring season, I guess. I, technically it is spring, but it doesn't seem like it, does it, um, until today. So as we are, are, are full steam into spring, I guess, uh, there's going to be a lot of nights, I know, and a lot of uh, evenings that I'm going to have to reassure my uh, son, Alex, and, and the rest of my family um, when there's a thunderstorm. Because thunderstorms are loud and pretty flashy. And not only do they cause in us some kind of fear and uncertainty, we have a fear and uncertainty when we are approached with a thunderstorm for some good reasons. Because the strong winds can knock down trees, can knock down uh, power lines, the rains can cause serious damage, it can be hail, it can cause flash floods, lightning can set things on fire, can uh, destroy electronics, can cause serious damage. And, and thunderstorms are often precursors to something even worse, like a tornado. Not here, but in other places, a hurricane. Things that are much more devastating. But often, when we have a thunderstorm, we know that its bark is a little bit bigger than its bite. And the rain and the thunder and the lightning passes and everything is okay. The question is what's going to happen? Is the thunderstorm going to pass or is it going to cause serious damage? And that's kind of a question we live with in our lives. Is the thing we're going through or the warning we're getting, is it going to pass or is something very serious going to happen? And sometimes those things, those thunderstorms in our life, cause ourselves to question our own faith, question God, question one another. So today I want to look at some uncertainty, because I believe that that is the kind of defining mark of a thunderstorm. It's the uncertainty, and how maybe to navigate through it. So perhaps the biggest source of uncertainty in our world is human suffering. Now we, we talk about this all-powerful, awesome, merciful, loving God who wants a relationship with you and me, who loves us, who cares for us like a father and a mother. Yet, 
We live in a world with massive suffering. Why is that? Why is there so much suffering when we worship and proclaim a God who is good and loving and merciful? I want to use some ideas from the uh, short little book, Why, by Adam Hamilton today. Uh, If you uh, uh, have a friend going through something, this is a great short resource. Whether it's an illness, whether it's a result of a natural disaster, whether it's personal struggles, a wonderful little book to give them to read with them, uh, to read yourself. Uh, But he he brings up some some ideas in his initial chapter that I kind of want to think about today and kind of ask ourselves. Uh, So as we um, look today, what I want to answer is how can we justify an all-loving, all-merciful, good God with a world full of suffering? And I think we can answer how that that can work. And I think we can uh, understand a little bit about our relationship in that. But before we begin, we have to kind of talk about a couple misconceptions that many of us have and many Christians have had throughout um, throughout uh, uh, the last uh, several decades. The first misconception has actually just taken light in recent years. And that is the idea that if I am good, if I believe in God, if I am faithful, if I go to church and sing in the choir and serve on the committees and, and set up the chairs, that I will be blessed. That God will give me good things. And that's okay in a sense but many congregations and many pastors have taken that to an kind of a, a extreme path, and there's a lot of theological terms for that. I don't want to get into that. I refer to it as Santa Claus God. When I am good, when I'm a good boy, right, and I do what I'm told, Santa Claus brings me presents. And when I am bad, and I do not do what I'm told, Santa Claus brings me presents anyway. No, how unfortunately how a lot of it works but what are we told we'll get coal in our stocking now that's what traditionally we would say unless you're french then the evil santa claus comes in and whips you and seriously i don't know what's wrong with the french but our santa claus just brings you coal in your stocking um so uh, that's not a real complete image of god that's really not our story suffering is part of human life Suffering happens whether you are Christian or not Christian. People are involved in suffering regardless of what they believe. It's part of our human condition. And actually, if you look in the Bible, what do you find? You find stories of faithful, God-fearing people who suffer and suffer and suffer some more. The chosen people of Israel, the chosen people of God, the people of Israel, what happens to them? They are put into slavery in Egypt for generations. They are attacked by foreign nations. They are eventually exiled and displaced. Even after Jesus dies, they revolt and then they are killed in the thousands. These people who are the chosen of God, people who God has been talking to for thousands of years, have endured endless suffering, even up Until the Second World War, we read stories of Holocaust survivors and their faith and their suffering because of who they were and what they believed. Even the disciples, those 12 guys who were closest to Jesus, history teaches us or tradition teaches us that almost all of them, with the exception of one, who was the one that lived. Anybody know? John? Yeah, okay, John is the one that lived. 
All of, he didn't live forever, obviously, but he lived to old age. All of them except John died horrible, grisly deaths for believing in Jesus Christ, for proclaiming Jesus Christ. So just because we believe in Jesus Christ, just because we're people of new life, doesn't mean we are free from illness, we are free from suffering, and it certainly does not mean we have a free path to wealth and success. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But there's a second misconception that's a little more subtle. And this is something that maybe more of us fall into. And it comes from one of those Bible passages that's not in the Bible. There are several of those, if you didn't know. There are things that we say are from the Bible that aren't actually in the Bible or that are kind of weird turns on things that are in the Bible. And that's everything happens for a reason. Or another way of saying that is it's all part of God's plan or it's God's will. Now, those statements are generally well-intentioned, but unfortunately, they're problematic. When we say that, we're actually saying, I think, I believe God has a plan. I believe God is in control. And somehow this suffering is part of that plan. And someday we will understand why. I think that's what a lot of people think when they say everything happens for a reason. It's all part of God's plan or it's God's will. But if you believe that, you really have to follow it to its logical conclusion. If God is controlling everything, and everything is part of God's plan, it also means God is responsible for our suffering. If you go to a funeral and someone has died, and you say to that person, it was God's will, you're really saying to them, it was part of God's plan for them to die, and therefore, you're saying, God is responsible for their death. Now that sounds great, if they were 95, 105, let's say, and they were suffering and we believe that they wanted to go home and they wanted to be with Christ, that sounds good. But you can't pick and choose when your theology works. You can't say it's this way one time and this way another time. Because if you go to another funeral of a child who was tragically killed because of a drunk driver, that's a different story. That's a different kind of attitude that I think is negative. Was that part of God's will? I don't believe that it was God's will, that it was part of God's plan for those 276 young women in Nigeria to be kidnapped, drugged, and sold into sex slavery. If you believe everything is part of God's will, you believe that God wrote that into their story. That is a scary God who I want nothing to do with. That is not the God of love and mercy and compassion who sent his son to die for me that I believe in. That is a wicked and cruel deity. And it's problematic. So I would challenge you. Think where that goes to. Does God really want us to suffer? Does God write that into our plan? I think we need to challenge that if that's our belief. I think we need to ask questions. I think we need to look a little deeper. Now, there are three things, I think, going forward that we can actually use to help understand how there's so much suffering and still how we can have an all-powerful, all-loving God. 
And they all play out before the fourth chapter in the Bible. Before the fourth chapter of Genesis, we see all three of the things that I'm going to talk about right in play. The first chapter of Genesis is all about God creating, right? Oh, it's wonderful. God creates the heavens and the earth, and it is good. God creates animals, and it's good. God creates humans, and they are good. And in chapter 1, verse 28, we read God telling humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. God puts humanity in charge of creation. Uh, one, one of the, the King James Version, the, uh, uh, one of the classic translations says, dominion. Humanity is given dominion over the earth. Told to master it. They're put in charge. We were supposed to be caretakers, but also co-creators with God in creation. Now there are uh, uh, not unlimited power that comes with it, right? There's natural laws and laws of physics. And then God gives us instructions. And God sends laws when we ask for laws. And God sends prophets when we strayed. And eventually God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to show us and then to transform us so that we could see how to be partners with God, how we could be children of God, heirs with Christ in the kingdom, how we could make all things new with God. That was God's intention. That's still God's intention. Since the first day of creation, God had intended for humans to be involved in this world. Second, we need to understand a very dangerous thing, and that's free will. God has given us free will. And some people say when, um, in the first chapter when we read humans were made in the image of God, they read free will into that. I, I think you can or you can. It doesn't necessarily say that. But I think in the second chapter of Genesis, we have a very distinct story about free will. And it's the story of Adam and Eve, and they are put in a garden and given grace and given uh, beauty and given uh, opportunity to create. And, and in verses 16 and 17, we read, The Lord God commanded the human, Eat! Eat your fill from this garden. All of the trees are yours to eat. But do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on that day you will die. What's the first question that comes into the mind when you read that part of the story? At least I guess it comes to my mind. Why did God put that tree in the garden? What's wrong with God? Well, the tree is our first metaphor or our first example of free will. If that tree was not in the garden, there would have been no free will. There would have only been God's way. God's way was to eat of anything in the garden. And if there had been no tree to not eat from, Adam and Eve would have been forced to do what God wanted. But God loved us so much that God said, you need to have the ability to choose me or choose another way. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the other way in this story. It is the apex and, and the, the very first sign of free will. We all, I think, understand how important freedom is. And God felt it was so important to give us that ability to be free. Now that brings us to the third point. Humans tend to stray. 
from God's will. Humans are not evil by nature. Never, ever say that. I believe that uh, of my theology. I believe that very, very strongly. That there are some people who believe that humans are evil by nature. I do not believe that because God said, here is man, here is woman, and they are good. I believe Scripture in that way. But we tend to stray from goodness. God is good. And anytime we do something that is not good, we turn away from God. We get farther and farther away because God, who is all good, cannot exist with anything but that, uh, but that which is good. And if you've ever had a three-year-old live with you, you know firsthand that humans tend to stray from what is right and what is good. They are amazing, wonderful little tiny human beings who are filled with awe and wonder, but they also make terrible decisions. And it doesn't stop ever. We tend to do the wrong thing. And what do Adam and Eve do? They ate the darn fruit. The one thing they were not supposed to do, and they did it. Because they thought maybe their way would be better. And how many of us have done that? We thought our way would be better. I still do that. I still struggle with it. Thinking that my way would be so much better when I know historically in my life my way was not better, and God's way is always, always better. Sadly, when we stray, when we pull away from God, it often leads to suffering. It often leads to confusion. It often leads to conflict. Now, I do not want to give you the impression tonight that God does not have a plan. God has a plan. It is a cosmic, penultimate plan that was started in the beginning and will go to the end and beyond. It is a plan that ends in all things being made new, all people being in relationship. And God has a plan for each of our lives. I believe that. And God wants a relationship for each one of us and calls us into ministry. But we have free will. So we can choose to ignore that plan. We can choose to step away from God's plan. Does that mess with God's cosmic plan of restoration? No. God's plan will end the same way no matter what. But it ends with your and my part in that plan. When we follow God's will, we are part of that plan, that awesome cosmic plan. When we stray from God's will, we separate ourselves from that plan. And that leads to suffering. And that leads to bad decision making. And that leads to hurting others. I don't believe it was God's will to kidnap those little girls. I don't believe it was God's will for any of you to be abused or hurt or for your family members to die tragically. I don't believe it was God's will for my daughter to be shaken. I believe in a bigger God than that. A God who loves us and wants good things for us. But unfortunately, war and murder and poverty and hunger and all of those things are results of this three kind of points. That God put us in charge. That God gave us the ability to choose. And sometimes we screw up. And that causes other people to get hurt. The good news is, God didn't walk away. Some people believe that, yeah, there's a God. God created everything. That's great. 
But then God stepped away and said, you're in charge. And, and we believe God put us in charge. But I don't believe that God then just left. I believe God's been involved. I believe God sent his only son to show us the way back. I believe God sent the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us and encourage us and empower us. And I believe when we are in the midst of suffering and the midst of uncertainty, when the thunderstorms are raging and we don't understand why, I believe God can be there. And I believe God can get us through. Scripture I want to read tonight comes from Matthew 14. It's one we've read before. It's one we'll read again because it's a great story. It comes from Jesus' ministry and Jesus' time with his disciples. So I want you to hear these words from Matthew 14. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake. Well, he dismissed the crowds. As he sent them away, he went to one of the mountains to pray by himself. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, in the boat, fighting a strong headwind, being battered by the waves and taking on water, the boat was far away from the land. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came to his disciples walking on the water. When Jesus saw him walking, or when his disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They were frightened and they screamed. Just then Jesus spoke to them, be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter, God bless him replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water towards Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, you man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him. And they said, you must be God's son. The disciples had just witnessed Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 with some loaves and fishes. But then they got into a boat, and then there was a storm, and then they got pushed out into the lake, and they got afraid. There was uncertainty. Well, to be fair, the little tiny boats in the time that they lived, were not the best place to be in the middle of a storm. Give them some credit. But the storm calms, and morning comes, and here's Jesus walking on the water. And they're afraid because they think he's a ghost. Because, you know, who walks on water? Just Jesus, to my recollection. But Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me. Peter, oh, I love Peter. He, he has this great faith, this simple, wonderful faith. And what does he do? He gets out of that boat and he walks on the water. And, and I think that's maybe the bigger miracle in the story than Jesus walking on the water. Assume Jesus can walk on water, he's Jesus. But Peter walks on the water. And as he's walking towards Jesus, what happens? He looks down <laughs> He gets distracted <coughs> and he sees the storm and the waves and he starts to sink. When faced with uncertainty, his faith 
wavered. But Jesus rescues him and pulls him up. What's the lesson? As long as Peter's eyes were on Jesus, he was walking on water. The minute he was distracted, he started to sink. If we are focused on Christ, we can emerge through suffering and uncertainty. If we are focused on Christ, our faith can be stronger than what other people do to us, to anyone else. It can be stronger than what the world has done to itself and what for generations we have done to the world. If we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the uncertainty of the storm isn't so bad because we believe Christ lived and died and rose again for us. We believe we have new life today, tomorrow, and always. We believe that there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth and we will have new bodies and there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more war, nothing that creates uncertainty. So I encourage you, we're going to continue for a few weeks talking about these storms and talking about how to overcome them. But I encourage you, the first and the the foremost and the fundamental thing that we need to do in the midst of the storm is keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And we can do amazing things, even overcome. Amen. Let's transition now to our uh, forwarding time. The team is going to share a pretty appropriate, well, several very appropriate songs tonight to go along with this plan. So I encourage you to uh, be lifted up and, and worship as they always do. Continue that message for us. Encourage you to stay and worship with us, uh, to fellowship with us, to be connected, to ask questions, uh, to figure out what's going on. I, I encourage you. And as we talk about uh, storms of life. As we talk about the things that I talked about tonight, uh, in June we're going to talk about um, some somewhat controversial understanding of heaven and hell and present that, some of those ideas. I encourage you to keep talking. I'm not up here saying that everything I say is gospel truth, that I have the definitive right answer for all theology. I am presenting to you theology that um, I, I have read, I have believed. I believe is founded in Scripture that people have believed through history, but I also believe we need to constantly be in dialogue. Because if we are not able to continue to talk, to argue, to disagree about silly theological things, uh, then we're not able to be in community and we're not able to be blessed by different opinions, blessed by uh, different ways to continue to push ourselves. And most of all, that's what I want to do Uh, every time we teach is to just push to get you to open your Bible to get you to go back and ask questions to get you to go back and say okay is this really what I believe and if it is great be reassured and reaffirmed by it let us pray Lord we thank you once again for this glorious opportunity to worship you to glorify your name.
but we recognize that there are storms in our lives and there is uncertainty. And so we pray not just for the glory and the goodness. We also pray for those who are uncertain, those who are wavering, those who are weak in faith just a little bit tonight or today or this week or this month or this year because of the storms of life. Be with all of those who are suffering, those who are ill, those who are facing insurmountable odds, those who are losing jobs, those who are being cut back, those who are losing homes, those who are struggling financially, those who are dealing with issues of addiction and abuse and shame and guilt, those who have always been victims, those who are newly victims, those who are afraid every day, those who are bullied, those who are hated, those who are marginalized. Be with those who give so much and get nothing in return. Be with those who have nothing left to give. Be with those who have laid down their lives and those who continue to do that. Those who are in the midst of war and hunger and oppression. Those who know nothing of freedom. Help us. Reach out to them. Help us have faith. Help us focus on you so that we can be people of new life, so that we can be people who are bringing heaven to earth, who are bringing your kingdom here now in this place. People who believe that one day there will be no suffering, there will be no war, there will be no tears, but who want that to be today. We pray that your kingdom comes and your will be done in all things. Make it so here as it is in heaven.